0: Good morning. Thank you for that, Cece. It's good to be with you all. My name is Shana Wildermuth, if you don't know me. I have been a part of this church for seven years now. And I serve in several capacities. You potentially have met me um, with the connections team, greeting you as you come in um, or at the connections table. I also serve as one of the lead leaders who uh, leads life group leaders. Thanks for that. Um, And I am on the disbursement committee. And nominating committee. I was like, something didn't sound right. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. He serves on it with me. There's lots of committees that we are part of, but yes, it's the nominating committee. Um, And then I am one of uh, multiple individuals that Newcom supports financially in the work that I do with a faith-based nonprofit called Build a Better Us at um, UIC. This morning, I feel both the privilege and a weight of speaking on the topic of being formed in the wilderness. And when Emily emailed me weeks ago now, my initial response was one of, how ironic is this? And does she know the level of wilderness that I'm currently experiencing? And if she did, would she still ask me to preach? But as I read over the email and prayed, it became evident that God wanted me to preach this morning. But not to preach from a place I've already been through, but a place of I'm in it. Not beyond. Beyond. And just a week or so before I got the email, I had gone from kicking and screaming, so to speak, that I was even in the wilderness to this place of deep surrender and asking God, what are you wanting to do in it? I did ask for one of the later dates of the six (laughs) um, so that potentially I could be further along in the formation and speak from a potentially rough place. But you should know, some of you already know this, I am someone who is increasingly and unapologetically a deep feeler, and sometimes the tears come. They may or may not today. But a lot of this is fresh and current. Another thing you should know that as a woman who's preaching, there's been lots of internal and external barriers to be up here today. Ultimately, I come as a fellow traveler. Today in whatever wildernesses we are experiencing collectively, and individually, and I'm thankful for each person who's already spoken on this topic. And though we have had the opportunity to speak from different passages in the Old Testament, there is a common theme in how God is using wilderness experiences in our lives to show us Himself and to transform us. So, in review, I'm going to go back to the, what we've already heard. Is Emily had us look at the life of Hagar? And her wilderness experience and how God saw her and showed her compassion in the desert. Anthony looked at the life of Elijah and how God guided him step by step. How God used his still, small voice in very tough time. Tim had us look at the life of Moses and how that we can get too used to the wilderness experience at times. And start coming to negative assumptions. How we need to pay attention to God and the ways he's showing up in moments in our lives. Matt last week talked about collective wilderness in the form of exile from the book of Ezekiel and how empire deforms us and how the destruction of the temple shows us the fullness of God's presence. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into what passage I chose today. God, thank you that you are here, that you know our collective past, present, and future. And you know our individual past, present, and future. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to be the one who speaks. Would you walk with us? Would you use my words today to, to give the message that you have? I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. So we're going a long way back from where Matt was yesterday. Actually much closer to where Tim spoke from a few weeks ago. The passage I'm speaking from is Exodus 13. But before I read it, I'm going to give us some context. Starting at the beginning of Exodus. So the beginning of the Exodus, the Israelites are increasing in number in the land of Egypt. And the leaders who had known Joseph and the story of the Israelites had long passed away. Pharaoh, the leader at the time, felt... Threatened by the sheer number of Israelites, and they were afraid that they would revolt. Um, so he enslaves them. He put slave masters over them to oppress them. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. As Tim talked about, Hebrew midwives were ordered to kill the baby, baby boys, and they didn't, because they feared God more than Pharaoh. And the Israelites continued to increase. Moses is raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He kills an Egyptian and flees to Midian and is there for 40 years. Through the burning bush, God meets with Moses and calls him to go to Egypt to free his people, along with his brother, helper and mouthpiece, Aaron. The two of them talk with Pharaoh to let the Israelites go worship God in the desert. Pharaoh initially does not let them go. He puts extreme demands on the Israelites and puts them to work in extreme situation. There's a back and forth between Aaron and Moses. And then there's the plagues. If you've ever read these and imagine being in them, I I can't even imagine. But there's the plague of blood, of frogs, the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, livestock, boils, the plague of locusts, darkness. It just kept going. And the last one was the plague of the firstborn where God asked people to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And that night, an angel of the Lord went through and killed every firstborn of the houses who did not have the blood. So imagine this is what the Israelites have just gone through. That night, um, when there was so much death, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, Get up. Leave. Both you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you've requested. The Israelites asked the Egyptians for articles of clothing and gold, and silver, and they plundered the Egyptians. In this chapter, it says that around 600 men on, went on foot besides women and children. So in total, that's over a million. It's a lot of people. They left with great droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Now, we're at Exodus 13, 17 through 18, which will be our passage for today, which says... When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road through the land of the Philistines, though it was shorter. For God said if the people faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt arrayed for battle. At this point, Pharaoh is so upset, he's done with them. It is no longer a three day journey, they have left. And they're headed to land that God had previously promised them through their forefathers. So they're out of Egypt, right? They're out of the land of oppression and being enslaved. But God, as this verse says, did not take them the short route. He instead takes them the long way through the wilderness. Now, this isn't specifically the 40 years of wandering that they do later um, when they're too afraid to take the promised land. This is just right when they leave Egypt. So if you put up that map... Um, In the upper left, it says the land of Goshen. That is where they were in Egypt. And then the dotted line that goes across the top close to uh, the water is the way, the short way, (laughs) the straight way through the land of the Philistines. But the red dot is the land or the way that God takes them, the long way through the wilderness, through the desert. So here they are. They're in a no longer but not yet place. You may have heard that call, the liminal space. We've talked about it here before in, in, at Newcom, and I appreciate that. Because in life, we find ourselves in those places, right? Something is no longer true, but there's a not yet. The, lo- the Israelites are no longer enslaved in Egypt. They are not yet in the land God promised them. And there's an intentionality with God leading them the longer way through the wilderness. Or as one translation says, the roundabout way. If you're like me, I don't always like roundabout ways. We tend to be people who want to get straight to it. Let's not waste time. Let's not slow down. We want production and speed and efficiencies. Those are high values in this Western society we live in. And we straight up don't like discomfort. Discomfort. So why does God intentionally lead them through the wilderness. It is because their external reality of freedom didn't match their internal reality of bondage, and that could be disastrous. I'll say that again. There's a slide for that, too. There's an external reality of freedom did not match their internal reality of bondage. And that could be disastrous. So their internal reality, what they knew, was bondage. They were accustomed to being enslaved. That was their awful norm. That is what they knew and how they had been formed for years. And this mismatch of external and internal realities could be disastrous when they faced opposition. And it wasn't a matter of if they face opposition, it was a matter of when. Now, they have autonomy from the Egyptians, but God knew that if resistance came, they would want to go back to Egypt. They would want to go back to being enslaved. They were somehow more accustomed and comfortable than with a fight for true freedom. But God was too committed to their long-term freedom to let them go the shorter route. He wanted them to be free-free, free in mind, free in body, free in soul. So he chose what didn't make logical sense so that the Israelites would know deep freedom. Literally, they had barely gotten out of all these signs and wonders with the plagues and Moses coming back to free them. And in the very next chapter, they say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us in the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let, the, let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I kind of doubt they honestly said that. I'm thinking they'd want freedom. But in this, in this moment of fear, they're like, didn't we tell you we want to stay enslavement? No, granted at this point the Egyptians had changed their mind. And they were coming after them. But had they already forgot the links... That God had gone with Moses and the plagues to get them out of their enslavement. But God knew, God knew the long road, the wilderness place would fortify them with internal freedom they needed in order to face the challenges that they would face for generations to come. Now let's talk about some things that are true about wilderness places. Other speakers have said them as well. They're both literal truth about wilderness or deserts and can be a life experience wilderness. One thing that they are is bleak. Years ago, I went with a team to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and we took a 30-hour train between um, Beijing, China, to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And much of that was across the Gobi Desert, <laughs> like hours was across the Gobi Desert. I remember looking out the window thinking, How could anyone survive in that? It was so bleak, it was so nothingness. Another characteristic of um, wildernesses besides bleak is that there's a hunger, there's a thirst, and there's unfulfilled longings. There's disorientation and confusion. There's often more questions than answers. It's lonely, deeply lonely. And oftentimes it's a place of being misunderstood, especially if the people around you aren't going through wilderness experiences. And there's usually an unknown end. I related when Emily several weeks ago talked about feeling too spiritual to be in a a wilderness place. Weren't they the people of God? Aren't we followers of Jesus? Shouldn't we have the answers? Shouldn't we know how to not get in wildernesses? And definitely, shouldn't we know how to get out of them? (laughs) If you are like me, I haven't had um, wilderness experiences modeled well for me, either in word or in practice. But God, in His goodness, at times leads us through what we would never choose for ourselves to free us from what we may not even know is enslaving us. That's a good word. I'm going to say it again God, in His goodness, at times. Leads us through what we would never choose for ourselves. To free us what we may not even know is enslaving us. Can you imagine what the Israelites were feeling and talking about? There had to be such a mix of delight and sheer fear. Here they are with their family and relatives and fellow Hebrews. Old and young. And there's a lot of them. (laughs) They don't have homes anymore. They also don't have the structure of the daily quotas they were Uh, demanded for fulfill they are surrounded by flocks and herds their possessions and the possessions of the egyptians they plundered there had to be this sense of wow we are we're free from the tyranny of the egyptians and the horrors they put on us but yet they're in a desert they're following a leader for 40 who left them for 40 years but now who had so obviously been used by god for this amazing miracle god was answering The promise that he would bring them out of slavery. God was doing it. And yet, can you imagine how scared they must have been too? What will we face? How will we be fed? Who's going to try and kill us? Read the rest of Exodus. You see a lot of these wanderings and the things they struggle. They had stepped into freedom. And into wilderness at the same time. I wonder if they were aware that they didn't yet have the heart formation and mindset to thrive in freedom. I also wonder if they reminded each other of healing truths and inspired hope in one another. The sense of God's got us, look what He's done, look at the links He's gone. He has been true to his promise that we've heard about. Let's hold on. Let's see what he does. I want to bring us to today in 2022 and think collectively for us. As a local church, we are very much in an in-between, right? And a no longer but not yet. A no longer with our founding pastor and not yet with the man, woman, or multiple pastors who will lead us in the future. And also as I pay attention to some of the things going on in the big C church, I think there's a long wilderness route that God is taking us on to free us from enslavement to some harmful ways and thinking. A passage I've spent a lot of time on personally in studying is Romans 12:2, which says, "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." We followers followers of Jesus need constant renewing of our mind. As naturally we are formed by the culture, the systems, the empire around us. The word world in this verse is actually systems of power. It's the water we swim in, so to speak. The air we breathe. So I wonder what thinking we collectively new come in the church is in bondage to or enslaved to that God is wanting to free us from so that we might live in a different way? What if God is leading us, his followers, the long way through a wilderness, a disorientating, full of questions place to free us from things our Western United States culture says is important and that enslave us? Is God leading us, his followers, the long way through a desert to free us from? things that enslave us, in order to free us to offer a more authentic expression of Jesus to those around us. Free us from to free us to. I've been reading a book recently um, from Oshita Moore that I love, and she has this quote on shalom. She says, shalom is the breadth, depth, climate, and smell of the kingdom of God. Shalom is God's dreaming of flourishing for the world, as it should be. Nothing missing, nothing broken, everything made whole. We know that full shalom won't happen on this side, on this side of um, heaven. It won't happen on earth. But it is God's desire for us. This is why Jesus came, to make broken people and broken systems whole, to free and to bring abundance. What if the wilderness for the church and for Newcom was for the purpose of us being about shalom and being free people who free people and healed people who heal people? What if our conversations and our programs and our presence was about shalom? What if we talk to our friends and our families and our neighbors and our life group members about the hope and the healing of Jesus brings? about the freedom he offers. What if that's what we're asking God for, for ourselves, for our church, for our city, for our country, for the world? Now I'm gonna share some things about my, from my life. As one who is tempting to step away from systems of bondage and live into freedom. It's been a long wilderness route. Three years ago, I stepped away from a well-known Christian organization after 17 years on staff, close to 20, counting my student years. I was motivated to leave from a place of transformation in which God opened my eyes to harmful ways that my spiritual formation was mixed with internalized racism, misogyny, and other influences that are harmful from our Western culture. My eyes had been opened to injustice, my own privilege, and the need for a new lens to see some important truths. I now saw, for somewhat the first time, that all along the gospel included justice. At first, I was glad to be free. The years before I left the organization, I'd had lots of hard conversations. I wanted to see and be part of the change I believed was needed in a predominantly white and male-led organization. I was learning to speak truth to power on the highest levels within the organization. And much of that story is not for today. But what I will say is it didn't go as I hoped, and God released me to leave. What I had no idea at the time is that what I stepped into, when I stepped into what felt like freedom, I also stepped into wilderness. And it's been a long wilderness. I was delighted to join a black-founded and led organization called Build a Better Us with my mentor, friend, and now colleague, B.J. Thompson. I was ready to be under black leadership and be a humble learner of that which I knew I didn't yet know. The fallout was real, however, and I naively did not expect it. I thought people would be intrigued by how God was leading me and come along on the journey. I thought that my years of faithfully following and serving Jesus on campuses across the U.S. would have a lot of trust from people. And when I say people, I will say it's mostly white people from a very different context than Chicago. My family, my donors, and those I had mentored over years across the U.S., Mostly the opposite of what I hoped and thought would be true was actually true. With varying levels of verbalized disgust and disapproval, I lost donors and relationships. I related to when Anthony shared a couple weeks ago that what felt like family was shattered. For two decades and most of the, the formative years of my adult life, I had been in this Christian system. But those relationships became strained and many disappeared. People became silent, distant, and some were actively against me. So many were uncomfortable with my growing heart and prioritization of justice with the gospel. The same month that I left this organization, I moved to the west side of Chicago, believing it was time after several years of prayer and consideration for me to be the minority. My desire was not to be a white savior but to truly listen, to learn, and to be deeply committed to solidarity. I now had autonomy and freedom with BJ and Build a Better Us to start something new on campus. New wine and new wineskins from Mark II was a passage we talked about all the time. The first time, however, I stepped back on campus, I had a minor panic attack. As things flooded my mind from past experiences, BJ encouraged me to step step off campus and heal. And so I did for a semester while forming a team of volunteers, some of you from this church, to to form a new vision for campus. January 2020, we went to campus to meet with students with a fresh vision and plan. And we all know what happened in March. Let's just say my fresh vision and plan was hard to implement with the 210 students we had met and whose emails we had, but yet had not formed relationships with. Classes went online for multiple semesters. While preparing for this message, I woke up in the middle of the night one night and thought, what would I name my wilderness? My wilderness would be named loneliness. The last three years have at times been an almost unbearable loneliness, but especially the months marked by quarantine. Three people in my building have passed away during the pandemic. The complexities of their deaths are heartbreaking. I especially miss the woman who lived below me who last sermon was so delighted for me and was praying for me as I preached. My staff team is not local or throughout the U.S. And it was hard to not have a team in person to process the many pivots I was making with campus work. On a deeply personal level, I literally went weeks and maybe months during the height of COVID without physical touch, not even a hug. Family hurt and chaos has surfaced in unexpected ways. It has been dizzying and emotionally exhausting. I am now back in person on campus seeking to trust Jesus for new ways of prioritizing shalom, equity, healing, wholeness, versus old ways that that were often about numbers and checklists. From such a place of vulnerability, I dated, fell for, and broke up with a man who is much different than me. Where our cycles of unhealed trauma from our past filled our relationship. I longed for the short way, so to speak, to marriage. I was so tempted to say this is good enough. I was tempted to compromise in many ways in this place of loneliness. The the pain of singleness is now once again raw. I never imagined at 41 I wouldn't have a husband or children of my own. I am still right now in this liminal space. I'm still in the wilderness. I'm still in the no longer, not yet. I still have more questions than answers around singleness, about being a spiritual leader in today's climate, and about being a bridge in the many contexts of difference I find myself in. I am free in some ways, and yet still being made free in this wilderness. It feels long, I'm not sure where the end will be. I don't have a pretty bow to tie this up today. But I do have hope. And there are true signs of healing and freedom and life. I want us to look at the verses that come after the ones I focused on today. In Exodus 13, 21 through 22. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And this part stood out to me like never before. Because God was with them in the wilderness. The whole time. He never left them. He was before them. He came behind them. His presence, his guidance, his protection was there. That's true for us too. His presence, his guidance, his protection, even if it doesn't feel like it, is there. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He is paving a way, even when we don't know it. So for me specifically, some things that have been key that God is doing is I've known his love in a greater way. Some of us from Newcom fasted for the month of January. And I was like, I knew I need this, both for things going on at church as well as personally. So I took out social media, <laughs> took out some of my favorite foods and coffee. Um, and I decided to fill in those spaces with time with the Lord. I knew I desperately needed it. I sat in silence and solitude. I meditated on passages in the word. I spent intentional time in lament and in prayer. And I sought to sit in my belovedness as God's child and to believe that his love was with me. And I love this quote from Sarah Bessie that says, and here is the great thing about wilderness. You get to go to the heights and the depths and the length and the breadth of the love of God in a way you never could if you remained inside where it's safe. And I would agree with that. I've gotten to know the height and, le- heights and depth and length and breadth of God's love in this wilderness in ways I wouldn't have otherwise. Another way God has shown himself is through community. I've had to be someone who's admit, had to tell my community I need them. That is not easy for me to do. But I have found amazing wilderness partners in this journey, too. A lot of you are here. Some of you are online. Um... Thank you for the ways you've prayed for me and for me. Gosh, I'm going to not look at some of you right now. <laughs> Thanks for the verses, the songs, and the encouraging texts you've sent me. Thanks for at times being the voice of warning and the arms who have held me when I wept. God has used you to remind me of his presence and his love. And the third thing is, new ways are springing up. I'm seeing God use the healing he's doing in me to bring healing to others. And some of you are in this room and watching online too. Because healed people are agents of healing to others, free people are agents of freedom to others. I've sat with some of you in your healing and said, let's keep going. And I've sat with you as you're looking for freedom and said, let's keep looking for deeper freedom. And on campus, I'm seeing God do something new that's tender and precious and sacred among a very diverse group of students. I'm seeing him bringing healing and shalom in ways that I never thought I'd see him do it. And I'm really excited about that. So as I wrap up, can I encourage us collectively to be people who step into wilderness and know God's love in a deeply personal and communal way. God loved the Israelites too much to leave them enslaved physically and internally. God loves new calm too much to leave us enslaved to harmful thinking. God loves you, his child, too much to leave you enslaved. He loves us enough to walk us through the long way of the wilderness so that we can know true freedom. Let's be people who look for the pillar of fire, so to speak, or the cloud. Where is his presence, his provision? Where is he? May we be people who then spread this freedom. If you don't see the collective wilderness that we're in, my hope is that today God would help us see it. There is a collective wilderness and a collective freeing, I believe God wants to do. And if you aren't personally experiencing a personal wilderness, I rejoice with you. But look around you because there's a lot of people in personal illnesses right now that need you to be that listening ear that voice of encouragement may we become people of shalom as we become free and healed so today I invite us to collectively and individually to step into greater freedom, healing, wholeness and shalom, to be healed people who heal people to be freed people who freed people because Jesus has healed us and freed us And may we not run away from the long way through the wilderness, but step into it, looking for God's presence and love. And to not do it alone, but to do it with fellow travelers. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are at work always. And that you have purpose and plan at times and in ways that we don't always see. I pray for the hearers today that we would be collectively and individually surrendering to the way you want to form us in wilderness. And I pray, God, that we would become aware of your presence in the disorienting times when questions are so loud and doubts want to take over. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for the healing and the freedom that you are bringing to us. We pray this in your name.